rescuing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault and without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of, of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. I think we might need a uh, handrail somewhere along the way here. Oop, there we go. <laughs> Good thing I'm using this mic. I've broken that one. I've got to pray. <laughs> Father God, we give you thanks and praise for the opportunity to explore your word as your people. We ask that you'll just clear our hearts and our minds. We might receive what you have to say to us and be able to put into practice, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're doing a sermon series at the moment looking at our attitudes. And it's amazing how many different kinds of attitudes we have to so many different kinds of things and how it affects our life so much. And this particular chapter that we've been looking at from Paul's letter to the Philippians, we've, we've learnt that we can overcome selfishness and conceit by being humble people. But our humility, it has to express, our, express itself in our daily obedience to God. Now, Paul wrote that God is able to make us willing and able to do what he calls us to do. So God can do that. He can make us obedient. But the other side of the coin is that God needs our cooperation. We need to be cooperating with God. God does not turn us into robots. He allows us still to have free will as his people. So God needs our cooperation so that he's able to achieve in us and through us what he desires to do for us. So before we can cooperate with God, of course, we need to be looking at our attitudes. Say, okay, how do I get this right attitude of cooperating with God? And what we read today, the first thing we need to do is we need to get rid of some wrong attitudes. And the first one that Paul talks about, he says, get rid of complaining. Or another version says, get rid of grumbling. Who does that? Huh? Yeah, we're all good at that sometimes. Listen to what he says. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So this, com this complaining or this, this arguing comes from actually from having a bad attitude. The only time you complain and grumble is when your attitude's wrong. So we've got to be looking at our own attitudes. Now Paul might have been thinking about the bad attitude and the behavior of the Israelites during the time of the Exodus. And they often complain to Moses and to God because in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 10 he says this, he says, Do not grumble as some of them did, referring to the Israelites, and they were killed by the destroying angel. So let's put the, the, the book of Exodus for a moment into a modern context. Not many of us have had an Exodus yet, but just imagine for a moment, it's family holiday time. Holden Commodore, loaded up for the holidays, got dad, got mum, three kids in the back seat, 1,000 kilometre journey ahead of you. 
Now imagine 200 k's into the journey. What's happened? The whole place is just turmoil, isn't it? Don't make me come back there. You know, who said that, Dad? Yeah, yeah, me too. Imagine what that's like. Absolute bedlam. And it's a, it becomes a travelling circus and it gets quite discouraging. Now magnify that situation thousands of times. Withdraw the Holden Commodore. 6,000 men plus wife, children, numerous thereof. You've got over a million people. The thrill and the freedom of, of and the excitement of, of escaping from Egypt has it's gone now. And the Israelites, they're making their journey, and they've been spoon-fed so far by God. God provides manna to fall from heaven and feed them each day, and they begin to murmur, and they begin to think of what they are missing. And rather than thanking God for the wonderful, amazing, miraculous supply that they have, it says in the book of Numbers, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites, Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Here they have this wonderful sweet food from God. And what do they want? They want watery stuff that's full of seeds that makes your breath stink. <laughs> You're like, what's wrong with these people? And later we read in the book of Numbers, all the Israelites grumbled, grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. <sighs> they should have read Philippians, shouldn't they? Oh, they didn't have it then, sorry. Okay. The grumbling of Israel, it must, have, it must have thrust a spear into the heart of God's love. It really must have. And God took them very seriously. In Numbers chapter 40, verse 27, it says this. God says, I have heard their complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. And that entire generation died in the desert by a couple of them. They had declared in the, in the hardness of heart that they would rather die than humble themselves before God and thank Him for their, His incredible goodness to them. And God respected their free will and they died without receiving their promises. Don't we have to be careful what we say to God? And be careful how you pray. Be careful what you wish for. It just might come true. This is God Almighty we're dealing with, not just you know, some idol. So let's be very serious. God will not go against the free will that he's given you. And even if you, if you want to be blessed, he can bless you. If you want to be forgiven, he, he can forgive you. If you want his help, you can get his help. But you've got to be willing and open to receive his grace and his mercy and his help and the blessing that you're looking for. If you say, only over my dead body will I forgive that person, God might honour your request. Let's be careful. He won't force His grace upon you to enable you to forgive. God never will force upon you something which you don't want to receive. It's the same with, it too, with any kind of spiritual gift too, if you want to go to that area. Now, if you don't want it, God won't give it to you. You won't receive it. So grumbling or murmuring, it expresses a lack of appreciation for all that God has done for us. And it comes from actually looking at what I haven't got. 
rather than what I have got and being grateful. Now we can apply that to our material possessions, to our status, to our relationships. These are things that can require deep repentance. What are you grumbling about to God? I don't like the way the seating is. Well, God might let you sit on the floor. <laughs> Just to, you know, let's be careful. Are we deeply grateful for all that God has done and provided for us? Because ingratitude distorts our values. In Egypt, the Israelites have been slaves in such terrible conditions that they cried out to God and God set them free. But instead of being free, they became captives again. But this time to their own negative thinking, their own expressed grumbling. Now, how does that apply to you and me? Do we have deep gratitude for everything that we have in life? You and I need to remember that ingratitude places us out of the will of God. Now, I want to be in God's will, don't you? Being ungrateful puts you out of God's will. Listen to 1 Thessalonians. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In all circumstances. That means even when life is rough and rubbish as far as you're concerned, you still need to be giving thanks to God. That requires a big attitude check, doesn't it? And a huge attitude change. So let's get rid of grumbling and complaining. It destroys us. It also says in the Bible that we need to get rid of questioning or arguing. <laughs> I remember when I was talking to an old family friend and, and she found out for the first time that I had become a Baptist minister. She said, oh, the Bush Baptists, they love to argue, those people. Like, oh, that hurt. That hurt. What a reputation to have that we're a bunch of argumentative people. Is it true? Oh. This word questioning or arguing, this is a word that, that's it's connected with legal disputing and it might reflect the practice that, that many of the early Christians, rather than settling their problems between one another, they went to court and settled their, their, their problems that way. You know, if Christians are going to make an impact on the world, they, the world needs to see that we've got our relationships right first. It really does. We need to stand out. There needs to be a unity amongst believers because unity amongst believers demonstrates to the world the power of God because it takes the power of God to unite people from different backgrounds and different cultures into one body. That shows that God is at work in our hearts. And disunity prevents His power and His presence from being made manifest in the world. So let's face it. If we're fighting each other, who's winning? Satan. Because he's riding you on your back and steering you by your ears, I can tell you. He's our enemy, not each other, and certainly not God. So let's get rid of questioning and arguing. Paul goes on. In the second point, he says we are to be blameless and pure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. Brothers and sisters, for us to be blameless means we are to be above reproach. It means that we need to be living such a way that unbelievers cannot accuse us of hypocrisy. What's the favorite thing that unbelievers like to point at the church and say, hypocrites, every one of them. And scarily, it's often true. Because we're not living out the Christian message. 
So we need to be blameless. That word is used a lot in terms of being found spotless or blameless when Christ returns in the Bible. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, it's used to describe the qualities needed as the elder of the church. Listen to this. Since an overseer or an elder is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. Blameless. Wow, that's a pretty high standard, isn't it? So the elder needs to be to be outlined as you know as, an, as, a, as a hospitable person. He's love, he's loving. He does what's good. He's self-controlled. He's upright. He's holy. He's disciplined, and he holds out the message of God. Let me put something else to you. It's not just the elder of the church that needs to be like that. The church needs to become like that. We all need to become like that, because then we can hold out the gospel with some real conviction. People look at us and go like, oh, "What happened to you?" I know what you were like, but you've changed. And that word pure, it's used of wine that's not been diluted. It's used of metal that has no alloys or impurities. It's the real thing. To be pure, we have to be pure through and through. Why? Because we live in what Paul calls a crooked and depraved generation. Well, isn't that true? Look at the standards of the world round about us. They're going down the toilet at the moment. They really are. He says we live in a crooked and depraved generation. This is a very descriptive word. The word for crooked used there is scolios. That means being bent or warped. I mean, some of us have been to the doctor and said you've got scoliosis of the spine. It's bent. It's not straight like it used to be or the, the way it ought to be. So we need to be people who are... Not, who are, not, who are living a life that's not crooked, that's not bent, that's not warped in any way. Because we live in what's called a, a depraved generation. That's a very strong word that's used there for depraved. It's the same word that's used in geology for the process of the diastrophic forces that, that twist the earth. You know when you see, when the plate tectonics, with the big plates that happen around the earth, right, when they grind up against each other and they push against each other, mountains fall. And other times one plate moves against another one, comes under the other, under the other one. And there's an earthquake that happens. Well, the Word of God is saying the, the, earth, the people of the earth are like that. They're twisted, they're deformed. They're not the way they ought to be. And you're living amongst them. We cannot twist the truth without being twisted ourselves, physically, emotionally, morally, and spiritually. And there are some sections of the Christian church that have taken the, the truth and twisted it. They're no longer proclaiming that sin is sin. We lose our impact in the, in the world if we do that. The world we live in is, is crooked and perverted. And most people have turned their backs on God and His truth. And in this kind of a world that we live, we need to be shining like stars. We are to be children of God without fault in a sick world, letting the light of Christ shine through us into a dark world. The world's in darkness, but we can shine like, like stars. It says here that my third point is that we are, to, we are to hold out the word of life. Hold out the word of life, says Paul, in order that I may boast, he says, in the day of Christ that I have not run or labored for nothing. That Greek word that's used there for, for hold forth means to retain, to hold firmly, to pay attention to, and to hold out. And one writer says that the word used in secular Greek is the, is the offering of wine at a banquet. So we are to, to get people around about us and offer them something precious, something beautiful, something wonderful. A really good glass of wine is special. 
And so is the gospel. We have to hold it out. We have to invite people to the banquet and say, look, have the best of the best. Here it is. Let me tell you about Jesus. We are to offer that and this person, Jesus, to the world. In the meantime, the Apostle Paul, as he writes these things, he might be put to death. And he says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering or the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, Paul's saying, listen, you do this. I'm prepared to die for this. That's how important this is for me. I'm prepared to pour out my life as I live in a pure, holy lifestyle, as I hold out the word of truth to people that are around about me. Paul's willing to be like Jesus, to die for the faith. And for him, it wasn't a sign of sadness. He wants his readers to rejoice. He says, yeah, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you that you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul wasn't even afraid of death. How amazing is that? He's that pure, that holy, that looks beyond life that is on this earth into being into the presence of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I really long for God to work amongst us, in us and through us in a really powerful way. To see things happen here in this congregation. To see our ministry grow. I would like this building that we're reforming to become too small. For us to have to come to terms with, oh, we've got to run more than one service on a Sunday. We've got to do something else. We've got to plant another church somewhere. Imagine having that. Listen, I know we're all, we've all got one-way tickets, haven't we? We've all got a little bit of time left, perhaps, God willing. Well, let's do something useful with our time. Let's have a big vision. Let's live our lives for God so that powerful things can be happening here. Let's be free of grumbling and arguing which are offensive to God and destructive to ourselves. Let's be blameless in this world. Let's offer Jesus to people we come in contact with. Let them see the difference that he has made in each and every one of our lives. But I can't do this alone. I can only do this when the Holy Spirit fills me. We need to pray. We need to offer ourselves to God and say, Father, yes, that's what I want. I'll be like Paul. I want to be like Jesus. I want to shine like a bright light in this world that I've lived, this place that you've put me, amongst my family, amongst my friends, amongst my neighbours, whoever I come in contact with. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to explore your word together, to recognize our own shortcomings, and to recognize also what you desire of us. Enable us, Lord, to change our attitudes, to be without complaining and arguing, to truly become blameless and pure children of God. May we be known as children of God, because when people look at us and see our lives, they recognize that these, God, these people are so different. May we truly like shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life, Father, so that others might also take hold of that same word and know Jesus themselves as Savior and Lord. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. One more hymn this morning. Hymn number 388, May the Mind of Christ My Saviour. 388.